Welcome back to Making It So. I'm your host, Craig, and my co-host, Maddie. How are you going, mate? What's up? This is our episode 19 of uh, the mm. show. Yeah, We're up to season two, episode eight of Strange New Worlds, which is called Under the Cloak of War. Very different episode to last week. Very, very different. Much more serious. Yeah. So I really liked it, though. So a little bit of news as well. So mm. Tawny Newsom, who plays Mariner, yeah. apparently she's going to be on the writing staff for Star Trek Starfleet Academy. Interesting. Like she doesn't really have any writing credits that are well known or anything that I okay. could find. But I have been quite vocal about not potentially wanting this show because it is set in the Discovery timeline in the mm. future. But because she's a fan, and is maybe she's going to be one of the staff writers, because she's a fan of Star Trek, I'm like, oh, maybe it could work. So, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, so, I guess we'll just wait and see, I guess. I'm sure she'll probably find a way to bring Hot Spock into it. Because so. <laughs> <laughs> this is what seems to be what she likes. So, anyway, shall we uh, read the synopsis? Let's do it. Captain Pike and his crew welcome a Klingon defector aboard the USS Enterprise, but his presence triggers the revelation of some shocking secrets. Written by Davy Perez and directed by Jeff Bird. Yeah. Overall, Matty, just yeah, initial thoughts. What do you think um, of the episode? It was okay. I was really into it for maybe the first half hour or so. I wasn't going to give away any spoilers. <laughs> um, but yeah, towards the end, it kind of dropped off a little bit for me. And, yeah, I, okay. and I lost some of the enjoyment out of it. And I think that kind of then coloured my my experience of the first half, which I really, really enjoyed. So just middle of the road for me. It could have it could have been great, but endings are hard. So I think if they if they'd nailed the dismount, it could have been a really fantastic episode of television, but it was just it was just okay for me. Yeah, okay. No, I, I really liked it. But before we go any further, I get to press the button again because it's there. Red alert, you know. We are getting into heavy spoilers for this episode. So if you haven't seen the episode yet, please pause it, go watch the episode and then come back. Unless you would like to be spoiled and then, you know, listen all the way through and then go watch the episode and see if you can pick up things that we've missed. So it opens with the USS Kelsey May. Very weird design, but I kind of cool. liked it. Yeah, I, I at first I was like, oh, that doesn't belong in this era. It's too kind of aerodynamic. But then I went, oh, well, in, in Enterprise they had like the Sarajevo and all those kind of things. So it made it made me think of like a luxury liner. Yeah, uh, yeah, and a, and a little bit um, dauntless as well. Yes, a little bit dauntless in the, yeah, and I was like, oh, it, it tracks as like a ambassadorial type of. Like yeah. transport ship where they could have like meetings and things like that. Yeah, something a little more. Yeah, something a little more luxurious for like the pomp and stuff. Yeah, just like a, a luxury liner. That, so, that's what stuck in my head. Yeah, I would like to see more of that because I found that quite interesting. I'd like to see it in motion and, and moving freely because it was it had the planet in the background, so you didn't get a really great great look at it. And we didn't really see the whole rear end of it either. Yeah, so, so yeah, cut I, would, that off. I would definitely like to see it um, in movement because it, it it was um, it's something that stuck out to me mm. much better than. Um, in the pilot episode last season where Una was on board, what was that ship? And it just had like the one nacelle. It was just like a disc. With oh, yeah. Nacelle. We don't need to see any of that. No, no, no. Um, whereas, not. yeah, this one was a bit of fun. Yeah, no, I liked it. So, Ambassador, was he a Darkrath? Dark, Darkrath? Darkrath? Son of Raul. He beams <laughs> Son in. Son of Raul. That's, Jesus Christ. That's what they said. 
And he beams uh. in and he asks for a tour of the ship. And I'm like, straight away, like, he was very, like, friendly and, like, happy for a Klingon. He was odd. It was, it was hard to get a read on him. I really did think during the whole episode, I was just like, there's something not right about this guy. He's sus as all hell. Mm. I thought the reveal was going to be something very different. But, yeah, I think I think it was good casting. I've seen that actor before in a few different things. The voice very much reminded me of Kern, Worf's yeah. brother. Uh, he, had, he had a great tone to it. He was maybe just a little soft. Like, he... And I, and I, I think I get where they were getting, going with the character is they wanted him to be a very human acting character because he's kind of sided with the Federation now. But I maybe just wanted a little more Klingon in him. Like yeah. We, all we got was that one little moment where he burnt his hand and then he, you see him... And that was it. And I was like, oh, I kind of wish we'd seen a little bit more than that. Mm. But definitely very unique. I think they kind of blended well, given that we got... And, you know, this is the, uh, the bingo drink moment is... In the previously on, we got a bit of discovery scenes, which I was got me very worried. Yeah, because I was like, oh, no, those Klingons are there. Uh, yeah. So I think they did a nice job of balancing the fact that we saw those horrible Klingons in the previously on and got to see him and, and he kind of walked the line between the two a little bit. Like he had a more traditional Klingon forehead. He just went back a lot further. Yeah. So it kind of tied into He also had discovery. a face tattoo as well. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I was like, oh, that was different. Yeah, so I think they blended the the weird discovery anomaly with Klingons a little better. I'm still hoping we'll get something in the show moving forward to bring us to the, the, the flat-headed Klingons from original series. But, yeah, it was an interesting sort of character. Maddie. Maddie. Mm-hmm. Maddie. Erica doesn't just fly the ship. Oh, my. Well, sometimes... She sits in the captain's chair. <laughs> they do mention in that scene, though, that <laughs> this is Erica. She flies the ship, the ambassador, <laughs> yeah. which annoyed me to no end. Because, she, yeah, she had such a great moment. of. of She's just perched on the edge of the chair. And I was like, oh, this yeah. is cool. Well, she did do that uh, very early in season one, I think, as yeah. well, when, uh, when everyone beamed down. Because it's like, Una, Una was taken captive. So then Spock, La'an, and Pike all beam down to that planet in the pilot. So I'm pretty sure Erica was on the bridge, like in the command chair at that moment. So that's good. But yeah, I just love the the back and forth. Well, I loved her side more than Uhura's side because I'm like, Uhura, you're an ensign. Shut yeah, up. shut the you fuck know up. nothing what you're talking about. And you're trying to trap Erica in these little word puzzles. And it's like, and obviously we know the Uhura later on has her own experiences with Klingon. So that changes from what, you know, she's speaking now having... No experience. Yeah, you as fucking a, woke lefty bitch. Uh, Shut the fuck a, up. As a, <laughs> as, well, I wasn't going to go that way, but I was just going to say as a, as a freshly minted ensign with very little real world experience, she's talking very, uh, what do you call it? She's talking without uh, lived experience. Yeah, but it's, it's, the, it's the practical versus the theoretical. Like she's talking from, yeah. yeah. So, uh, which I did like, you know, later on in the very, very last scene, Pike and Mbenga have a very similar conversation and, you know, Mbenga has some, but we'll, we'll get, yeah, to, we'll that get to that. Oh, that's, um, but yeah, I just, I just found the way that, that um, Uhura was kind of talking down Erica. Erica yeah. yeah. I wasn't a fan of that, but I love that we got a little bit more of Erica and, and some of the experiences she had during the Klingon war I, and her biases against Klingons. I love how Erica fucking had like that foot in mouth moment though, like yeah. where they come in and she's just talking shit. And I was like, Oh shit. 
And then the side eye that she got from fucking Pike as he ended up walking by was like, oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good moment. And it's the first of many instances we get where we set up this whole thing where Ra is... It was, he was given the name by other Klingons as the Butcher of Jagal. This is the first time we hear about mm-hmm. him being the Butcher of Jagal, which is a big thing in this episode. Oh, yeah. I actually had to go... I've watched this episode twice now because I sort of... After we get the big revelation at the end, I actually went back and rewatched the episode knowing what's what. And you do pick up a few more things oh, yeah. through there, especially the, um, the judo scene that we'll get to. Knowing what you know by the end, going back, it makes that, that scene much more powerful. Mm. But yeah, I have, issues, I have issues with the whole Butcher of Jagal thing that we'll get to when, when we go through there. But yeah, this was the, the first mention of it, that it's a name given to him by other Klingons, not by not by humans. No. So anyway, so as he's doing his tour of the ship, they go to, yeah, like the bar area on the ship. Like, and it hasn't been given a name, has it? No, no, it really hasn't. Because so, it's uh, not even really the mess hall. It's a, it's a proper it's, bar. It's like a it? bar, yeah. yeah. Although I guess the, the Cerritos, they haven't really named their bar though, have they? No, it's just It's like, kind of just a mess hall that has a bar in it. But this place seems it very... It feels like an actual like full-time bar. Yeah, it feels like a very, yeah, like off-hours kind of bar. Not a. It's not, got like not, civvies in there running the bar like yeah. Ken Forward did. It doesn't seem like somewhere you'd go for lunch during, you know, while you're on... on yeah, you're not like having a pub meal in there. Yeah. But Spock is replicating a Ractogeno. So the first time we ever heard of Ractogeno would have been in DS9. I'm fairly certain. Yeah. So I'm And for those certain. that don't know, Ractogeno is like a Klingon coffee. Yeah. It was, it was a little bit convenient for me because Spock doesn't flat out say Ractogeno. He says we have replicated a popular Klingon beverage. Or maybe even a caffeinated beverage or something like that, Whoops. and then and then he just says Ractogeno. Yeah. like and it's like, well, is that the only drink they have? Like, why wouldn't he? it was it was just a weird, weird phrasing for it? Okay, I, I didn't find yeah. that, but yeah, that's just me. Mm. So, but I thought it was cool. But replicators, so they don't really have replicators in this period. They've got matter synthesizers. Yeah. So unless it's just a change in terminology. And that's how I'm going about it in my head canon. Yeah, well, obviously, like, I i don't... I've said it a lot. I don't watch a lot of the original series. So a lot of the stuff that I pull from is, like, the DS9 Trouble with Tribbles episode and, and little bits that I've seen. And obviously, in the original series, they didn't have CGI to be able to do no. replicators. So the Madison stuff, it was like, you, there was a little... Bing, and a door slid open and the food came out. Um... This was one but just was sitting a, on the table. Yeah, so it's like all I can assume with that is is that it's we're seeing it without the housing and maybe that was all going on behind the little door. Yeah, the it, bloop, it totally makes sense though that they would have replicators because they've got transporters that can reorganise matter. Yeah. So it, it's just, that's all replicators are. They're just a yeah extension what of did, the um, transporter. Did, did the NX-01 have matter synthesizers as well? No. So what did they call but, it? So they had the chef. Yeah. All the time. But they had, oh, what did they call it? I can't remember exactly what they called it. they did have something that could. Yeah. Well, so they, they'd go, yeah, coffee. Yeah. yeah and it had come out of the, the tube. Yeah. But it couldn't do food. It seemed to only do liquid yeah, or something Yeah. It did liquids like only. Yeah. I can't remember what it was called now. That's a good question. I yeah. probably should have looked that up. Um, yeah. So it was a little odd, but yeah, I think there's ways you could go. Okay. All right. That's fine. But yeah, I don't want to see. I don't want to see it being like you don't want to see it all the time. Like that yeah, I think you could buy this in that they're playing around with it. They're trying to program new things into it. So they've like we're seeing under the hood of the matter synthesizer. They've lifted up the bonnet, 
and they're tinkering with the engine and we're seeing the engine. Um, but yeah, you don't want to see that too often. No, definitely not. But then Rahi burns himself mm. on the mug. Yeah. Which made them go to sick bay. So, and this is where things in this episode for me really start to sort of, this is where we're heading in this mm. episode type of thing. And this is where I got a little disappointed because for a second, I thought we were going to get an Erica episode. I was like, oh my God, yeah, we're finally getting an Erica episode. Because we know that Erica fought in the Klingon War. And, you know, we set it up on the bridge where she had that foot in mouth moment. And I was like, okay. And you'd sent me, I think a day before the episode um, dropped, you'd sent me like a picture of Erica in the command chair. Yep. And I was like, okay. And I was like, right. maybe we're getting that. Maybe we're finally going to get some. But and we really got another Mbenga and a little bit of Chapel episode, really. Yeah, which I think. Like this was excellent for Mbenga though. Yeah, I think, I think it helped because obviously it was something that was set up in like episode one. So we're kind of getting that payoff. And this has kind of been his season arc. I think we've, we've seen this this um, sort of the more sinister, darker side to Mbenga, like of his past Mate, and all that and kind of stuff. For me, like Mbenga is actually my favourite character in this really? show. Yeah. Okay. Like he's got, like there's, there's parts of Mbenga that I really relate to in, in a lot of ways because of my own war experiences. Yeah. For, from an outsider looking at all like the flashback scenes and that kind of stuff. As a, from a macro point of view, it's like I feel like it was done really well and I mm. feel like anyone who's been in a combat situation would be able to relate to a lot of oh, the things that are going mate. on there. It seemed very like very uh, genuine, very real. Like it came from a place of someone who had those kind of experiences. Yeah, and, and we spoke about this in our Picard season where there was some PTSD type of things as well. But mm. like I've got a lot of friends that I've served with that have got PTSD and I saw that in Mbenga's performance. Like, Babs, he nailed it. Yeah. Like, I would like to see him get, like, an Emmy or something for... Calm down. No, I really would. I thought his acting was great in this. Yeah. Like, there was so much... There's so much depth to his character. Mm. Like, he's... In such a short time. Yeah, so... Now, this is something I thought was interesting, right? So, Mbenga in this episode, he mentioned that he joined Starfleet to help people as a doctor. Yeah. Right? But then we kind of find out that he was into some, like, special forces, like, yeah. shady stuff. Like, was he, like, a Mako or something? Potentially? Potentially, yeah. I'm not sure when the Makos were retired. But yeah, and, and bought into Starfleet. Yeah, like, but, I mean, we did see in this episode, you, you must have loved it, we saw another Another Andorian. Andorian, yes! And he was, yeah, part of this Black Ops kind of yeah. sort of thing. because so. they specifically said uh, uh, special forces. Yeah, yeah. And we've never really heard of... Special Forces in Star Trek I'm, before. I'm very glad they didn't call it sort of Section 31 or any kind of... No, kind no, of no. It's Section 31's like been way overdone at this point and way too prevalent for a secret organisation. Um, so, yeah, I like the fact that they went a different way and it's... I could kind of buy it because it's in, in time of war, you know, the Federation... Like, this episode felt very much to me like a combination between... Like, the, the Ra stuff... Felt very much like Jatrell from um, season one of Voyager mm-hmm. with Neelix and and uh, Jatrell, and then all the flashback stuff felt like an updated version of DS9's The Siege of AR Five Five Eight. So yeah, it was it was it w- for me it wasn't groundbreaking because it's kind of been done already, but it was just a modernized, updated version where they could be a little more gory and a little more explicit. Oh, in there was what some they, gore too. In what they showed. Um, I have a few little issues here and there that I'll that I'll nitpick at as we go through. Yeah, but, that's okay. Um, yeah, it was quite interesting. And 
you mentioned Picard as well, and it's I was very critical of um, Shaw and his PTSD because it seemed to um, infiltrate every part of his his being. His he, and it, it was, does. It was well, no, uh, it just seemed to be like his only character trait, and that it was something that he carried on his entire life ever since Wolf 359. And I found that very unbelievable. Okay. Because the Federation I didn't. looks after their um, their officers better than that. Whereas what you see here I find more believable with Chapel and Mbenga is that stuff didn't sort of affect them until they saw Ra. It wasn't the one huge thing that took over their whole life. It was no. just it was a small part of the tapestry of who they are and the experiences and why they are. But it for the last two seasons, we've seen the both of them be healthy, functioning members of society and members and of the crew. And then when they're around Klingons. And spe- but if it was just any random Klingon, like if you notice like in episode one of this season, we saw Klingons, Mbenga saw Klingons, and he wasn't too bad with it. They were just like, mm, you know. But it's spe- it was this specific. specifically seeing Ra, and to me, that's what felt more believable. Is the both of them have had experiences specifically with Ra, and now having to pretend and play nice with him, and it brought all all that stuff that they thought they had under control and had moved on from, yeah. until their past literally walks onto the bridge of the ship, and then they have to go and sit down and have dinner with it. I found, as someone who's yet yeah, not experienced any kind of military service or any PTSD in, in, with anything like that, this felt much more real and believable to me as a narrative that I'm watching on television as opposed to what they did with Shaw. Oh, I can see it from both ways. Like, with the way they went with Shaw, that totally happens. Infiltrates people in every aspect of their life. Yeah, I, I believe that. But there are other people where it just sort of affects them when they exposed to something that directly reminds them. Yeah, yeah. And I have, and I said this in Picard, I have no issue with if if Picard was a modern day telling of that story and Shaw having that kind of PTSD, I would buy that. I don't buy it in the 24th century um, with a, a show that established 30 years prior, a captain can have a counsellor sitting next to him on the bridge to look after his mental health. Um, I don't believe that Shaw could rise the ranks all the way to captain being the cunt that he was. (laughs) Um, Real world, it makes sense. In Star Trek world, it doesn't make sense for me. Whereas the Mbenga Chapel stuff completely made sense to me. But I like how when Mbenga and Chapel saw Ra, that Mbenga had to go into like a back room area and his heart rate went off and he had to hold like his chest because his chest was tightening and all that sort of stuff. Like I was like, whoa, wow. And the way, and the He's way doing Chap- a great job. And the way Chapel knew, she's like, I've got this, you go. Like she knew. Yeah. She's like, I can, I can handle this part. You go. Like she knew that he would have a hard time. I, I found that it was a really great bonding moment for them and just the shorthand that they have with each other. I thought that was really, really poignant. Yeah, I, I thought it was brilliant. And I wrote down, yeah, like it's like it's clear he's got massive PTSD and mm, this absolutely. guy is like a big key to that. So but Oh like a huge trigger, yeah. And hopefully like I think after this episode, and we'll get to it, but I mm. think after this, like it's almost gonna be like there's a I wouldn't say a cure for his PTSD, 
but it's a big weight off of Embega's yeah, shoulders. Yeah, we'll get it. The bio bed analogy was a little on the nose for me. It was a little <laughs> like, oh, really? Yeah, because he gonna... was. He was fixing that bio bed yeah. when, at the start of this episode there Yeah, when he walked in. Yeah, so I was just like, nah, I wish it was. It was a little heavy-handed, but it, yeah, gave you hope that it's like, okay, Embega's moving forward with this. So, yeah, yeah no, that was good. Um, the first... The first flashback where um, Chapel is... Um, coming in on the shuttle? Coming in on the shuttle. Yep. My little nerd Star Trek brain had an issue with this. Okay. And I think the show, the episode needed to explain this to us a little better. So the shuttle had to enter atmosphere, fly through um, like enemy and friendly fire, like all the way, like to then... Beam her down, yes, from like a couple of hundred meters away, and then they establish that the front line is maybe what well, they say like a mile away or a click away yeah, or something, something like, like that. that, and wounded are beaming in mm-hmm. to this FOB, and it's like, so if they can beam from that far away, like they need to explain to me why they couldn't beam, why down. the shuttle can't just from orbit beam her down. Why did they need to add that extra element if cool they're not go- if they're not <laughs> going to land the shuttle, like? They didn't have to do that stupid thing where he's like, oh, no, we're just going to drop you here with no landing site or whatever and then beam her in. Just beam her in from orbit yep. or land the shuttle. Or tell me why. Tell me that there's transport inhibitors or something like that because then you're you're letting injured soldiers beam in from a mile away with no, without any problem. So, what? yeah, it didn't yeah, make sense. No, no, I didn't even really think about that, but, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you did. That yeah, that good. bugged me. Yeah, anyway, so... So Buck, he's been a staple of Star Trek. So, and when I oh, say was that Buck, his name, was it? yeah, so that was his name. Yeah, so Buck, um, he was the chief medical officer down on the moon there. Mm. But, he's been in everything. Oh yeah, yeah, he's he's been around a lot. So he played a Ferengi in Enterprise. He played uh, that kid. I can't remember his name in the original series. Oh, the one I was talking about last week. Yep. Well, not last week. The last episode. Yep. Um, the bald kid who liked Tronya. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was in, I'm going to say DS9 as well. If he uh, was, he was heavy prosthetic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he's one of those character actors who does a lot of that stuff. I'm just looking him up on IMDb now. But he's got that very, um, like that face. that Very recognisable. Yeah, very, very recognisable. Yeah. What have you got on IMDb there, uh, Matty? Oh, he was in Austin Powers. He yep. was in The Waterboy. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm just going in deeper now. What's the actor's you. name? Uh, cl- oh, now you, after I've clicked out of that Sorry. Part, <laughs> uh, Clint Howard. That's right. Clint Howard. Uh, let me just... God, he's got a thousand credits. Yeah, there. Buck Martin is the character's name was. Yeah. So I've got it here as well. So what else has he been known uh, for? What do we got? Say, Austin Powers. Little Nicky. He's in The Grinch. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Oh, yeah, he's in Enterprise's Muck. Yep. Just trying to see if he had any, any other Trek credits. He's in Solo, a uh, Star Wars story as well. Yeah, Star Trek Discovery. Yep, he was a creepy Orion in that. Oh. Yeah, he's been in a lot of different things. Yeah, hey? you just sort of see his face. Oh, yeah, there you go. Who's in Deep Space Nine? Played a character called Grady. Who is that? Hawaii Five O. Season Three. Oh, Past Tense. We were just talking about that. Yep. Um, in um, in those old uh, those old scientists. 
Yeah, he was one of the um, what are they called the Guineas. He was one of the Guineas or the the Ghouls or whatever they were, the Gimme Ghouls. Yeah, he's in the TV show Fringe. He was in Heroes. Um, my name is Earl. I'm re- that's where I really remember him from. Uh, he was in Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. He's just one of those. You just see his face and you go, Oh, he's yeah, like, Yep, I know that guy. <laughs> everything. Yeah, and he's been an actor since he was a little kid. Like, fuck, mm. he's got a lot of credits here. Yeah, yeah. Just you could. You could spend a whole day just scrolling through his filmography on um, IMDb. Yeah, like it's like a lot. Mm. Like, yeah, it's a shame we didn't get a little bit more of him. He just kind of had that one scene, and then a little quick wrap up at the end when they Baylock. Baylock is when he was in Star Trek in 1966. Ah, there you go. There you go. Absolutely. Anyway, um, so he's showing Chapel around and. And Benga's in having a bath. That was some like deliverance style shit there where you kind of <laughs> just see part of him and he's all like... I, I had to look twice. I'm like, what the hell is he doing? Oh, he's having a bath. All right, that was weird. That was a weird choice. Yeah. But then I liked... So when the transports started coming in of all the wounded, I liked that they showed them triaging the casualties. Mm. I, that, that was totally realistic because when we yeah. have like mass casualty situations at work on operations and things like that. It is full, fully about triaging. It's like, yep. All right. You are missing an arm. It's tourniqueted. Okay. You're not actually bleeding out because it is tourniqueted. You can wait over there. while this guy who's, you know, bleeding, uh, breathing blood bubbles because he's been shot through the chest. We're dealing with him first. Yeah. I mean, something as simple as the emergency room at anyone's local hospital. They're, yeah. run, they're running triage. Yeah, they, exactly. That's, that's why sometimes you're stuck in the emergency room for a couple of hours if you've just got a sore tooth because there's people coming in with, you know, typically it's like if you say um, uh, like lightheaded chest pains, anything like that, you will get seen straight oh, away. Oh, yes. Straight away. <laughs> Tip for young players. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I thought that was great. But everyone went straight into action and did mm. their jobs. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. So, um, but I liked how they put the casualties into the pattern buffer as yeah, well. Al, and Al, that was Mbenga. So this is what Mbenga did with his daughter. Yeah. It was the guy Alvarado or something like that. Uh, yeah, Alv- yeah, Alvarado or Alvarez or Al- something, yeah, something like, that. like yeah. that. Who they just straight up killed later on. Yeah. Yeah, they just... Well, oh, they kind of had to. Sorry, buddy. Which is, yeah, it's it's that thing. It's like... So do you think Scotty gets the idea for the pattern buffer thing from Mbenga? Oh, I hadn't considered that. That's a nice little track. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, at some point, they're both serving on the Enterprise together. Correct. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's something I just thought of right then. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Then we go back to present day. Yeah. And Mbenga is giving um, his log where... And he's fixing that bio bed. Mm. So it seems to be a thing through this episode. He's fixing that bio bed. All right. But then Pike comes in because he wants some Delton parsley, which is pink in a little tube. And apparently it's deadly in excessive amounts. So I'm like, how I much mean, is an excessive amount of that stuff? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it, that tracks because like, so are tomatoes. Like tomatoes are technically a nightshade. So it's like, are the, they? The, yeah, the leaves or something from certain tomato plants in too much... Uh, can be deadly, and you can also make arsenic out of apple seeds. Yes, you can. Yeah, yeah. I knew that. So, um, yeah. So I think that tracks. That it's like, yeah, certain. I love that he called it an apothecary. That was great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So no, that tracks. That it's like, yeah, certain things. You know, they're great as a garnish, but too much. Uh, I yeah. mean, ca- I remember when my parents used to own a little um, uh, carvery, 
back in like the like 90s, early 2000s. Kale back then was just used like in... As the dis- a garnish. Well, just in the, as a decorative, like almost like just in the display window, just it was there. And then suddenly like, you know, 2010, they're like, it's a superfood. And like so much of it just went to waste. It's disgusting. It's yeah. The- uh, kale chips aren't bad. Kale chips are good. Yeah, nah. Not a, not a fan. <laughs> not a fan. Um, so Pike says to Mbenga that they want Klingon war veterans to interact with Ra. Not even yeah. want it. It was like an order. It, it was, yeah. It was orders from yeah. up higher in Starfleet. And he said that's, it come from the top. That's messed up. Like, yeah, I was just like, oh, like, that'd be like saying to me that I've got to go interact with some Taliban fucking dude. Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. I'd be wanting to kill him. <laughs> it's, um... <laughs> It, it is nice to sort of, I guess, kids of our generation who grew up on Next Generation, DS9 Voyager, we never dealt with Klingons as enemies. Like, the, that was an original series thing. The Klingons mm. were the enemies. And, you know, by the time we get to sort of our, what I call our time period, it's like they're allies now. And, you know, yes, you know, DS9 had their issues with them and stuff like that. But it's like, yeah, you sort of have to remember that a lot of shit went on back in that, in that time mm. period. So, but it just seems real fucked up. I mean, it does seem appropriate for this time period, like if you like, just because you know the original series was a fucked up time. What well, they they, um, they they gave a number of how many Federation casualties there was. Yeah, and I don't know if I didn't write it down, but it was ma- it was. I have a feeling it got into the billions. I thought it was higher than that. What's higher than a billion? What a trillion? trillion. Yeah, I thought it was like one point two trillion casualties or something. I'm like, that's a like that's just like to think of a a million, right? So, like, a million seconds is, like, say it's, like, a day, right? A billion seconds is, like, 40 years Yeah, it's type uh, of thing. From memory, it's uh, a million seconds is, like, a week and a billion seconds is, like, 31 point something years. Yeah, yeah it, they, it's they crazy. Like humans just cannot fathom the, the term billion, let alone trillion. Yeah. And if you think about, it, like, our entire planet is, what, 8 billion people now or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something's crazy like that. Um, China's population is 1.4 billion. Yeah. But just sort of think that, like, what, a thousand of our planet's worth of... Um, of people of, died. Of people died. It's crazy, know? hey. And it was only, like, a five-year war because I, I don't know my Discovery well enough, but they kind of jumped over. Didn't Discovery <laughs> literally jump, like, the five... Sorry, we've got a drink. We mentioned Discovery. <laughs> Didn't Discovery literally jump like the five year war was or something like that? Oh, they had that little war at the start, didn't they, with those weird looking fucking Klingons that lasted like a day or whatever. But then, yeah, I feel like the the Klingon war lasted in my brain. I'm my my mind goes to five years for some reason. Um, but yeah, I'm obviously not going to go back and do the research for (laughs) for Discovery Memory Alpha. Um, yeah, because obviously, yeah, that's and obviously, then you know, jumping forward a little bit, we get that great scene with um, Erica kind of pacing outside the. The door waiting for um waiting to go in, well putting off going into the into the dinner that they've all been ordered to go to. Um yeah, she's dealing with her own issues with um with her past in the Klingon War. Now, this next scene, th- this for me personally, this was a little bit of a a harder scene to watch because I've seen this happen for real to one of my friends. Um they were manually having to pump this dude's heart by yeah, so Chapel wow. put her hand inside this guy's chest and she was manually massaging his heart and I, I was like, fuck that that took me back. Mm. Like and I, I can still watch it and everything, but I was like, holy fuck. Like 
Yeah, it was it was very visceral. There was and because obviously we're we're watching Star Trek, which is yeah in the future, and they're still like got that knowledge, and they still are having to manually do that in these war situations. Well, yeah, that was. I was like, wow, this is crazy. That was one thing that I kind of I was like, I wonder how accurate this is to Star Trek because I do remember um, Bones being very like, "Good God, man, what are you doing?" What, you know, kind of thing like calling. I feel like there's instances where he would call a, a, a person savage by doing that. Yes, yeah. because he can just wave a little blinky light over something and it, and it can be fine. Um, but I feel like they kind of brought it back in this episode, being that they don't have all the fancy blinky light technology that they need. They're having to do things um, as basic as possible yeah, to, to keep people alive. So as as I feel like bones wouldn't have been any good in some of these situations. Yeah, I feel like as as anachronistic as it seems. I bought it because of the fact that they didn't have the supplies that they needed. They were mm. just doing whatever they could. You know, there was that line from uh, Message in a Bottle where, you know, uh, the EMH is trying to do something and the EMH Mark II was like, we don't use scalpels or leeches anymore, <laughs> you know. Um, but, yeah, I, I I bought it in this just because of they're on the front. Um, they don't have the supplies that they need. Yeah, and basically they were a little mash hospital, like, yeah. Like, and I mean, you look at... Who remembers MASH? I love that show. Great. <laughs> um, and, you know, you, you flash forward to, like, the siege of AR-558 when Nog loses his leg. It's like, well, yeah, they couldn't replace his leg there. They didn't have the resources to do it. They just had to stabilise him and wait till the hospital ship came. And then he was taken to a starbase and taken care of there. So it all tracks to me. Yeah, because they said they didn't have, what is it, an organ um, synthesizer or something? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Like, I was like, ooh, yeah, okay. Yeah. So I, as, I didn't realise that as, was a thing in Star Trek. Yeah, because remember, um, Picard has an artificial heart. Yeah, I knew he had an f- artificial heart, mm. but it almost sounded... You know how they've got, like, the like the skin um, regenerator? The dermal regenerator. Yeah, the dermal... Re- it almost sounded yeah. like they've got, like, an organ regenerator that they could wave around, but not, obviously Picard's heart was something that they sort of, like, something replicated yeah. and put in. Yeah, I do remember, I do remember when... When Bashir discovered that Odo had the um, morphogenic virus, that was because he was asking for a sample of Odo's goo because he was trying to find a way to, like, replicate organs as needed on the battlefield, like during the mm. during the Dominion War. So yeah, I guess they they can't just yeah just replicate a new heart and chuck it in, but yeah, they obviously had some kind of tech that kind of helps helps all that kind of yeah, shit. like so, regenerate these things. Oh, yeah. that was cool. Um. Then we go back to the present. Like, this is an episode where they go lots of flashbacks and back to the present, flashback yeah. present type of thing. But we get a little bit more of Erica again. So, Mbenga is talking to Erica in the hall and she just doesn't want to play along. Yeah. Like, she's she fought in the war and she's just, she hates Klingons. And I love that she's self-aware enough to just be like, I, I have, have to leave. I have a thing. terrible poker face with this bullshit. I'm not going to, I can't do this. Um, and, and Mega has to be like, no, no, we'll do this for the captain. We'll do this for the captain. The only problem I have with that and the following scene is, yes, I know that Pike had orders to get as many um, veterans of the of the Klingon War in there as possible. But where the fuck were Pelia and La'an? Like, if you're going to have a special dinner, honouring your special guests, and you can have all your senior staff there, why weren't La'an and Pelia there? They were the well, Pelia was she in the war? As well, but she doesn't matter. Like, she is senior staff. She's senior yeah. staff. If you're going, if you're going to be hosting a dignitary, and you're going to, you know, have all your senior staff there, 
why weren't La'an... Like, Spock was there. He wasn't in the war. Una was there. She wasn't in the war. That's true. Um, Uhura, an ensign... I, mean, oh, I feel like she would have volunteered because she, she was, like, basically... Oh. She was sucking Ra's dick, basically. She yeah, was, pretty much. Because you know, she just didn't understand Don't anything. Klingons have two dicks? No. No. Discovery <laughs> did that? No. They have one. <laughs> They don't have two of everything. <laughs> they don't have two brains. Yeah. They don't have two. Uh, they don't have four oh, eyes. I wish you could see Maddie going off now. Oh, that annoyed me so much. That conversation. <laughs> oh, Maddie's face here. Jadzia and Deanna were not getting dicked down by Worf's two dicks. Hey, he was going from behind, just getting not. them in both holes. Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, Maddie. He didn't have twenty toes. He don't. Klingons don't just have double everything. Did Balana have two vaginas? No. Interesting. She didn't. You saw bioscans of her. You <laughs> saw her give birth. Yeah, well, she was half human though. I mean, her daughter was a quarter Klingon and still was going to have three heart, uh, three lungs. So they have certain redundancies. They don't have just double everything. What have I done? Balana didn't up. have four tits. <laughs> she wasn't a fucking dog with like six nipples running down her chest. I hate it. <laughs> Fucking discovery. <laughs> oh, Maddie. Oh. Yeah, that was great. Um, but yeah, I just felt it was a little it was a little bit lazy writing to... And we never have the whole cast together. So no. I think it was a lazy writing and a missed opportunity to have La'an and Pelia just there for that scene. Like, get the whole get the whole main cast in there for it. Hey, but Pike made Jambalaya. It looked good. It did. I liked how they did the... Like the pan over the top of the jambalaya and yeah. could see them in the background. I thought that was really cool. Uh, jambalaya was Cisco's dish. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, but like Pike makes everything. I know, but of all the dishes he could make, he chose like one of one of Cisco's like signature dishes. Mm. I'm like, careful, buddy. <laughs> careful now. Yeah, I don't know. Pike had his green jacket on again, though. Yeah, his little formal outfit. Yeah, it uh, seems to be a thing that they're bringing out a lot. So I guess when he wants to dress up a little bit. Spock can see that Chapel is distressed, uh, and he sort of has a bit of a chat with her. And But Ahura, what yeah, absolutely the, fascinated. What but, was the name game thing that she referenced? He's like, are you okay or something? And she's like, oh, you're trying to play the name game. I don't know. And I was like, I what? Must have and then that. she kind of just moved on, and I was like, or oh, the word game or something. And I was like, huh? Um, and then just and then they never reference again, and I was like, "Am I missing something?" Or yeah. did they? I totally missed that. Out? I didn't yeah. write it down. It but was yeah. weird. I did. I did like how. And again, it goes back to why I don't buy any of the Shaw stuff. Is Chapel was aware, like she she snipped it at Spock, and then caught herself doing mm-hmm. it because she's as much as shit as she's going through. She's emotionally evolved enough as a Starfleet officer, like in that time period to go, oh, I'm taking this out on Spock who doesn't deserve it. It's not, it's my own thing that I'm dealing with. To me, that is a healthy mental state for someone who is going through Absolutely. something like PTSD. So that's the kind of stuff that I like to see. There's the snip and the real, the realization, the self-awareness of it. But then Spock to help her out, he goes and distracts the ambassador and talks to him and mentions, talks about, uh, Sun Tzu's The Art of War, which is a great book, actually, if but you haven't also, read it. How, how did that distract? Because all he did was then give the the ambassador a chance to wax poetic about war, which yeah, is what it, he was trying to avoid him talking about. Mm. So I, I, I appreciate his effort to try and distract, 
But if anything, Spock should have been monopolizing the conversation to shut the ambassador up so that he could talk to give Chapel and Menga a chance to breathe and cope with it. But I feel like all Spock did was actually make the situation worse. I, I feel like it was more Spock just taking the conversation away from the other people so he was the one dealing with the, the conversation instead of them having to talk to him. That's what I think it was. But it was it was a group conversation. Everybody was talking and the amba- everyone was asking the ambassador questions and he was waxing poetic with different things. But then Spock chose to ask him a question about the art of war. Like yeah. that's the one topic we don't want him talking about. <laughs> so I just feel like Spock's heart was in the right place, but I feel like the execution, he actually made things worse because then it led to Erica's outburst. Like you need to... If Spock actually knew what was going on, and you know, I don't know how much he knew about what Chapel was going through, so maybe that's why oh, yeah. he stumbled across and and asked the wrong question. But it's like, if he knew enough about the situation, I feel like he would divert the the the, the conversation away from war. That's the one topic we don't want him to be talking yeah, about. I think Chapel so. really she keeps her whole experience with the war pretty close to herself, and so does Mbenga. And they like, talk about it amongst themselves as the war veterans. And I feel like that's pretty that That accurate, is pretty... Right? pretty like, like, you know certain things about my war experience, but there's not a chance in hell I will tell you everything about my... And then you're yeah, one of yeah. my oldest and closest friends, but I, I won't because I don't want... Yeah, like, and You just can't understand it or... Exactly. Yeah. And there, there, there is that line that Chapel has later on in the episode where she's just like... Unless you've been there, you can't understand. And yeah. that felt very true to me because it's like as little as I know about what you've done, I feel like it's not even 1% of scratching the surface of, of the stuff. And I will never understand that. No matter how much, even if you just laid everything out and told me every single fucked up thing that's ever happened to you while you've been um, uh, deployed, I'm still never going to understand it. No, and like this actually led to a falling out between me and one of our mutual friends. Correct, yeah. I've years ago, that. because you know, like I was having like an online sort of Facebook chat conversation thing with a couple of my other mates, and this mutual friend of mine and Maddie's interjected himself into it, and I was just like, "Look, mate, you weren't there, so you wouldn't understand." Mm. And then all of a sudden, I was getting private messages from this friend. Going like, who do you think you are? You know, like I expect better answers from you than that. And I'm like, dude, you like weren't there. Like, wasn't he in the army for like a week driving well, cars yeah, or something? He was like a truck he driver. Yeah, he didn't actually do anything. Fucking loser. <laughs> 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 Fucking pokes. Yeah. No, and I guess I was going to save it to the end of the episode, but I feel like because we're talking about it now, it's probably a better point to talk about it. That there was a moment right at the end in the conversation between Pike and Benga that I felt very. It, it felt very true to conversations you and I have had when uh, Mbenga says um, Pike has the privilege of believing in what's best in people. Yes. And I very, I very much, I felt like Pike and you, I was to Pike as you were to Mbenga in that moment is it's like, it just, it just, it was really, it was, it was really well done. I was like, Man, oh, that's like, I can readily admit that sometimes I see the absolute fucking worst in people. Yeah. And 
uh, that's just from lived experience. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, not everyone gets that. So, like, sometimes, like, I have to remind myself that not everybody is that way. Mm, so, yeah. and, but, yeah, for, for the most part, though, like, you know, like, you've known me, you know, fuck, how long you know me now? Like, 25 years or something? Something like that, yeah. yeah. Like, do you think that my war experiences changed the person that you know like to a massive level or anything like no like obviously you know we've i've grown up you know from you know knowing you as a teenager to now yeah being like an almost 40 year old yeah yeah obviously people do mature and stuff in that time and yeah. have different life experiences and stuff but i like a lot of other people have told me that they don't think that my war experiences have changed the core of who I am. And I don't think I don't, it has. I don't think so. I think I remember when you enlisted or whatever the correct terminology there yeah, is. that's correct. Um, you became more confident. Like you found your tribe. You were like, yeah, oh, this, absolutely. Is, this is where I should be. And I have noticed times when you've come back from when you've been deployed, just the the profanities that come out of your mouth. Like Just. what you hear of me on this podcast is the very tame version. Oh, and, also, and before you were a father as well, I just feel like I couldn't be in public with you sometimes. Like sometimes we would go to lunch and just the F-bomb every second word F-bomb, C-bomb. Just so loud to the point where I would be looking and there would be like people at the table next to us like looking over being like... Oh, really? Fuck? I yes. didn't even know that. Um, <laughs> It was a lot, but yeah, obviously, um, yeah, I think since you became a father, it's 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 dropped quite a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, definitely when you've come back from um, uh, from being posted overseas and stuff like that, yeah, just because you're around all that, it's the it's the it's the group that you're around. It's a lot of it's well, a lot of blokes. It's talking rough. I know. do talk a lot louder than a lot of people too, and mm. that's I don't know if that's because I've got pretty bad tinnitus from my war experiences <laughs> or I don't know. It's just who I am. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. yeah so I, when, I, you, when you naturally talk loud and then drop an F-bomb and a C-bomb every second word, <laughs> being with you in public is sometimes a little, a little dubious. And I have tried to make a, uh, a note of myself doing that over the last few years and mm. tried to bring it down a level. Yeah, Cause like I, I said, never used to be like in high school and stuff like that. I wasn't like a big swear or a very quiet person. I would say you were yeah, very, I, um, but yeah, you know, I think I think definitely since you become a father, your your vulgarity has dropped down. You've you've made a concerted effort to not drop cunts and fucks around your around your son. Maybe I just get it all out of the way at work. Yeah, true, <laughs> true, 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 true. Anyway, we go back to a another flashback, and and Benger is talking to a recovering ensign. Mm. So this is one of those like, oh wow, this it's like they made a point of showing this ensign and I'm, I was straight away, I was like, fuck, something bad's going to happen to this guy. Well, and he was the one that, it was a nice little sort of Karen. It's like, he was the one that was having his heart manually pulp, uh, what do you call it? Pulse, Massaged. Pulse, massage, whatever. Um, and then, yeah, he's like, how are you feeling when he's in recovery? Feels like someone grabbed hold of my heart. He's like, that's what happened. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was, it was rough watching that ensign sort of go from having the conversation about, um, I joined Starfleet to become an explorer. And, just, and then by and the he's end, like, I'm a soldier. He's in a soldier. And I was like, oh, it like, it hurt. Cause it's like, you know, me and very much in the, in the Pike and Benga thing. I'm on the Pike side where I'm just like, no, you're not a soldier. You're an explorer. But in that moment, he, he was a he soldier. He was cannon fodder. Yeah. Um, but he was a soldier like, and, and he was going to do it. And I was like, ah, oh, that sucks. But that's the point of the episode is the, 
the the horrible things that have to be done during wartime. Yeah, you know, um, and you know, like in later on when we see him actually dead, he'd had his throat slit, which makes me think maybe he's just really bad. I don't want. I don't want to talk <laughs> ill of the dead. Well, he's going up against Klingons. Yeah, okay. But if you're going, if I've, if you're a Klingon and I'm that guy, and I've got a phaser and you've got a batleth, I feel like I could take you out. Just you know. But if you're going to get your throat slit, like if if you're bringing a phaser to a knife fight and you're losing, yeah, bruh. But obviously, you know, yeah, they did have some sweet armor players. though. Yeah, I like the Starfleet armor. Yeah, I thought which, that was cool. Is that the same armor you spotted a couple of episodes ago? Um, with the people and like those background people. Yep. Yeah. And it kind of like it's almost like we've got. Remember that computer game, uh, Star Trek Elite Force. Oh yeah. Yeah, I kind of liked like it was that sort of thing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I did like too that like while Chapel was wearing her white nurse's outfit, while she was on the front line, she still had like the little like the black over the top yep. to cover it. I'm like, that's clever. She's not wandering around in this giant sparkly white. Glitter outfit. But we saw this Andorian special ops guy. And I, like, we didn't get to watch this episode together, but as soon as I saw him, I'm like, oh, fuck. Craig just, oh, got, Craig just got erect. Oh, not erect. But <laughs> his cheekbones, they were so, like, aggressive, his cheekbones, weren't they? And yeah, I feel like they... Do you th- like, I don't know who the actor was. I don't know if he's got as aggressive cheekbones or anything no, like I, that. No, I feel like there was like, a lot of prosthetics. Yeah. They gave quite a distinct brow. I think they were trying to, again, work backwards because... Obviously, we're used to Andorians just being just humans in blue makeup with some antenna. Like, um, uh, what's uh, oh he Jeff- act? No, he actually does have some. Pr- like, check out this guy's cheekbones, Matty. His name is Kyle Gatehouse. Oh yeah, yeah he yeah. really does have some aggressive oh, cheek fucking bones. I just he? did notice like there was a lot of prosthetics in there, and I feel like I guess Shran had like some forehead prosthetics. Um, so that was kind of an update from the original series, Andorians. But then I, I kind of remember Discovery going a little too far with their Andorians. So I feel like this was trying to bring it back a they're, little They're bringing bit. it back to sort of like a the nice Enterprise Andorians again. Yeah, yeah because I'm obviously the... I mean, we didn't get a close look at them, but in those old scientists, we saw those two yep. Andorians. And I feel like they had a little bit of prosthetics going on, but I feel like this guy, on top of having forehead stuff, had like cheek prosthetics and some chin and all that mm. kind of stuff as well. It was um, very well done. Yeah, yeah. It looked really, really... Like, I didn't look at that and go, that's not an Andorian. No. I looked at it and went, well, that's a that's a battle-hardened Andorian. Yeah, because his eye as well. I don't know if you noticed it. His right eye, mm. uh, it had like a big scar through it and he was almost oh, blind in that eye. That. Yeah, it was cool. That's a cool touch. Because yeah. it was also in um, Lower Decks, there was that little team... And there was an Andorian in there with like there's a little special ops team or something. Yep. That then they had an Andorian on there yeah, well, as well. The Andorians, they? you know, from what we know from Enterprise, uh, like this militaristic yeah, sort yeah. of race, and like it tracks that this Andorian would be in the special ops type yeah, of team. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was cool. Um, this Andorian talks to Mbenga about his past, and Mbenga's like, as, "That's not, I'm not about that life as anymore." The ghost. Yeah, the ghost. And I'm like, I'm like, we always knew that Mbenga had been into some shady stuff since we saw that green stuff that him and uh, Chapel. Yeah, what do they call it? Protocol Twelve. Protocol Twelve. Yeah, we learned that in this episode, so it's called Protocol Twelve. But yeah, we always knew that he had a shady past. But he said that he'd had the most hand-to-hand or confirmed hand-to-hand kills in Starfleet history. 
And I'm like, mm. what kind of shady stuff has Ambenga been into? I guess that's why he transferred over to scalpels. That's why he's a really yeah. good doctor. And that Andorian, uh, what was his? It was uh, his name was Lieutenant Vaal Trask. Oh, that's right. I remember them saying that. Yeah. So he he wanted the Protocol Twelve uh, Super Soldier Serum mm. to give him that edge. So and Ambenga was like, oh. Doesn't exist anymore. Sorry, well, he's like he he's had like. Some. Well, I hear, <laughs> I hear you have some stores, or you can make some. Yeah, and Benga's like, nah. Yeah, like it probably would have saved a lot of lives if Benga did give it to them. Mm. But yeah, at what point is that? Yeah, oh, it's like a line that you don't want to sort of step over. But Benga, he's used it, and so is Chapel. Yeah. So, anyway, it goes back to the present again. Right, with the ambassador telling stories of Jagal massacre, and you know, then he defected after that. This is still the dinner scene. Uh, I think it might have been still, yeah. Because yeah. right at the end, like, yeah, this is where Erica um, storms out. Yeah, basically, having, yeah. that was a great moment for her. And then Mbenga, like white knuckling it the whole way mm-hmm. for um, Pike to then be like, "Why don't you go check on her as well to give him an out." And then Ra had that moment where um, he sort of grabs Mbenga and says, hey, I hear you're doing um, whatever the term is for the Klingon judo. Um, yeah, I can't remember what it was called. Whatever yeah. it was. Um, says, hey, we should have a, um, a, a match. I want to talk about that later And I just well. went, oh, this isn't going to end well. But when Erica stormed out, that gave Chapel a good excuse to follow. Yes. That, w- that was really good for Chapel's character. Um, and then... Pike could see that Mbenga was uncomfortable as well and was like, hey, you can go help Erica too, which was a really good way of getting them out of that situation. So that yeah. took all of the the veterans of the Klingon War that were struggling out of the room, which I thought was really good. Yeah, I think Pike realised that even though he was following orders, it was a bad order. Um, and again, that's, it then throws me back to it's like, well, if you've only got eight people in a room and three of them are Klingon war veterans. The math there doesn't check out. If you can pile a bunch more people into that room, then the ratio of Klingons to Klingon war veterans, you've got a, you've got a bit larger buffer in the middle. Like if you think about it, the only buffer that we had in this was what? Spock, Uhura and Pike. That was it. It's Pike's a Klingon war veteran as well, surely. I don't know. He didn't really like he, say he much. Sure, yeah, like I just maybe he was busy off doing other things. I don't know. I guess maybe he was captaining a ship and he, he didn't have. On yeah, he the wasn't on the ground. Yeah, like, he wasn't a like boot on Erica the ground. And, and Benga and Chapel. Um, oh, and I guess Una was there as well. But it's like if you had Laan and Pelia there, it just creates a little more of a buffer of people to kind of. You know, just kind of move but people They could around. have had Jenna in, like Jenna Mitchell. She was in this episode as well. Oh, that's right. They, they could have had her in there. Because I freaked out for a second and I went, because it, it, I still in my brain have to remember that. You think Nurse Agawa, don't you? No. No? Racist. <laughs> Racist. What's? I, I have to remind myself that red equals engineer. Yeah. Because she's behind the bar and I'm like, what is she tending drinks now? Mm. And I'm like, oh no, she's an engineer helping Spock with his experiment. Yeah. Because for a second I'm like, wait, is she just a yeoman? And is she trying to like, but like make drinks? And I'm like, no, 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 she's an engineer. Okay, she's an engineer. Okay, this makes sense. This makes sense. Because <laughs> yeah, that was that was weird. Um, but yeah, it was good to see her again. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. Then we get a 
another flashback and Spock's patient, uh, not Spock, sorry, Mbenga's patient from earlier. He's back up and he's got his body armor on and he's going to join the fight with the SF guy, with the Andorian and the platoon. Oh, uh, yeah, which obviously missed the part where, like, um, uh, Chapel spoke about how she she listened to the plan and yep, she's like, oh, they yeah. need, they need, um, uh, they, well, cannon fodder, basically. Yeah. Uh, or what did she say? Meat for the grinder. Meat for the grinder, yeah. So visceral. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then you see them all come out um, in their arm. And I feel like there was maybe a spot missing there where, because obviously there was the, the real heartfelt moment between the patient and Benga in the previous flashback. We did get that moment where, like, he said that the patient was like ready for like cleared for active duty again. So I feel like if Mbenga really wanted to, he could have just he said, yeah. uh, young man, you're not, I, didn't, I, I, I didn't, don't think there was any stopping that. I kid, didn't though. discharge you. Um, and he could have just fucking put a high press out to his neck and been like, Bunk, you know, and you're out buddy. But obviously it, it doesn't change the fact that then the, the, the 20 other guys that were going, were just going to be meat for the grinder anyway. Yeah. So I kind of understand why they didn't. That meat for the grinder like line that sort of hit home with me as well. Cause I was in Baghdad for the surge of American troops in 2008, 2009 area. And within like five days, there was like 30,000 extra American troops that came in into Baghdad itself. Crazy. And the embassy, cause I was working at the Australian embassy at the time. And it was right next door to the main like hospital in Baghdad there. For five days straight, there were two Black Hawks landing while two more were waiting, dropping off casualties for five days, 24-7. Jesus Christ. It was crazy. And I was helping drag people off of helicopters and stuff as well because yeah. the Americans were just shattered. Like there were so many people coming in through that hospital. And yeah, it was meat for the grinder. Yeah. Like, it was crazy. There was that, wasn't there that wild statistic while like they had some of the highest casualties ever, there was a period where Australian troops didn't have a single casualty for oh, yeah. four years or four, whatever the number was. And we were speaking a couple of weeks ago about Matthew Riley and a book series that he writes. Yep. That's actually written in. He does a really good job. It's like Indiana Jones style stuff where there's like curses and all these kind of things. But he, he weaves in real world situations and that's one of the things he weaves in is something that an event that happens in maybe book one or book two you find out then in book three or book four when australia has its first because the main character is australian um australia has its first casualty at war is because of this curse thing that he had changes and that like australia had actually been protected by like people of this soil had been protected by this mm. by this thing um yeah and that's the only reason i know about like the, the weird statistic that like Australia had zero casualties for just like the longest time. Oh, I remember seeing some of the uh, American Green Berets coming in with their Humvees, like two or three Humvees at a time with miniguns on top. Fucking thousands of pieces of brass just all over these things oh, from where the miniguns had been going. And there's all these bodies that are over it where they've like grabbed like other American soldiers and like co like coalition soldiers and locals that have been shot and stuff and they're taking them to the hospital by ground means, I was like, "Whoa, this is just like it's like that scene from Black Hawk Down, where they've got all the like the bodies piled up in the in the um in the Humvees." It was just like, "Wow, this is real!" Like Jeepers. and yeah, like this episode really got that um, depiction of close combat war really yeah. well. It yeah, really you could, did. You could tell it's like it's it's what the siege of AR five five eight wanted to do but weren't allowed to do because yeah. of network television. network television ratings and what they could show, what they couldn't show. Whereas this, yeah, just gives them a little more leeway to show this kind of stuff. 
But yeah, those, those kids were going on a suicide mission. Yeah. So, yeah, not good. Anyway, which, go. is, which is rough that you think that the Federation would do that, but it's kind of like, well, it's that wartime. It's, it was an all or nothing kind of thing. And, and yeah, the, the Siege of AR-558 kind of did it as well. They were yeah. just, you know. And what they, yeah, it was like a trillion people that died in this one. So yeah. it was crazy. So back to the present. So Spock and Chapel, he's talking to her, yeah, to like give her support. And this was a real, I wrote this quote down from Chapel. Um, war doesn't, uh, hang on. I can't even read my own bloody writing here. Uh-huh. Yeah, war doesn't leave you. It can bury itself, but it is always there. Mm. And that line, it, it meant something to me as well on a personal level. I was like, yeah, that's, that's really true. Yeah. Well, that was that scene we spoke about earlier where it's, yeah, it's, it, that's, it felt so true to me the way that, uh, uh, um, uh, 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 uh chapel was just <laughs> like, yeah, like I can talk to you about it, but unless you were there, yeah. you're, n- you're never going to get it. Yep. As and much as you want to, it's not something that, you know, um, that you're ever going to get. Then we, we flash back again. It's, so, it's like so fast between the flashbacks mm. and like the present time. All right, so we flash back again and the base is getting bombed where Chapel is. And then because they've got more casualties that are needing to transport in, they needed to clear the transport buffer of old matey that was in there injured mm. and Chapel can't really bring herself to do it. So old Babs comes over in Benga and he clears it for her. Just so calm and matter of factly. Yeah. Just re- slowly just like, reaches over, hits the button. I was like, damn man. Like, see you bud. Like that's, it may look cold to people looking at it from the outside, but it is like these people that are beaming in, have got more of a chance of surviving than what this dude does. So yeah, it's do you preserve that one guy or who knows how many dozens of people being beamed in? What's that famous um, quote from Spock later on? The good of the many outweigh the needs the of the many outweigh them. those of the few. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So it's and it's it's the triage situation. It's like, well, we could keep that one guy in the pattern buffer, and then there could be a dozen people beam in that we could patch up and we'll live lives, but are going to die. So it's, it's the, it's the trolley problem. It's yeah. the, you know, do you switch the track to kill the five people or do you keep it running for the one? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So and then Benga just went, it's, it's what we got to do. You got to save as, you got to save as many lives as possible. That reminds me, there was, there was like a psychological question that I got asked once mm. and they're like, there's like a kid on a train. Uh, there's a kid on a train track. Yeah. The trolley problem. Yeah. But, one kid, right? And then yeah. there was a, uh, was it like a a box or something that was full of pedophiles? Mm. And like, apparently the correct answer was to save the pedophiles. Well, I like, fuck that. Let the pedophiles die. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, it's the trolley. It's the trolley problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, so yeah, there's, there's many different variations, but it's just like, yeah, a train's running. You've got one person here. You've got multiple people over there. The train's heading for one. Like heading for the say the one. Do you? let it happen to save the five or do you switch it to, you know, or vice versa mm. or whatever it is. There's, there's many different variations on it, but yeah, in philosophy, it's just the, it's the trolley problem. Yeah. And it's just, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just how you answer that question is, is part of your psychological I, profile. I, I see it as a right and wrong on some of the variations. Um, all right. Back on the enterprise again, this is where Mbenga is sparring with the ambassador and we get mm. to see Babs's um, martial arts skills again. Like, we're really leaning into that for him as an actor using his martial arts skills. Yeah, I mean, if it's there, use it. And, like, I really like this because he's a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and jiu-jitsu has similarities to judo in some ways. Um, Like, with all the the military martial arts stuff that we do as well, like, 
there were certain parts of it that I could see that Mbenga was doing. And I was like, that's exactly how you do it. And so you could really see that his actual skill was shining through yeah, into the character. I clever, thought it was brilliant. It's clever enough because it's sci-fi. They can just call it Klingon Jiu-Jitsu, uh, Klingon Judo, yeah. and then they can throw in whatever they want. Yeah. But it still has that that core no, of it. So. And it, it was his movements. I could perfectly see the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in there. It was great. Yeah. I really liked it. Yeah, This is the scene that in particular that when I had to go back and watch, like I was wanting more the first time I watched it because obviously as an audience, we don't know what Mbenga knows at this time that the the secret that, oh, that yeah. Ra is hiding. So it's like once you find that out and you go back, so much more of what he's saying makes sense and you can follow it. So like I don't want to criticize the writing, but because it is one of those things where it's like, well, this show I think is going to benefit from multiple views, multiple, which is this is what I yeah, want. Yeah, this I, is one of those episodes which you can watch a lot of times and pick yeah, up a lot of things. I, I want rewatchability in my in my TV shows, so I like that. But also for that first time watch, I'm like, well, as an audience member, I need to know these things because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do th- I didn't watching it for the first time. I'm not going to in my mind remember verbatim every single thing that Mbenga said during that fight and then apply that once I find out what happens at the end. So it's like, I think as an audience, I would be interested to... I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just... I think it would be interesting to see how the episode would play out if we as the audience knew the secret before the judo match Mm -hmm. to know that Mbenga is the, quote, butcher of Jigal... Because then there's there's more poignancy in the things he's saying because it makes that judo match actually a chess match in terms of us knowing what Mbenga knows and then seeing him feel out uh, Ra and seeing all the bullshit lines. Because up at that point, like I knew Ra was, there was something not quite not right. right about him, yeah. I thought it was going to be more, did you ever watch... Um, the Clone Wars, the t- the Star Wars Clone Wars. No, I haven't actually. Okay. I, I mean to, but no, I haven't yet. There's a real. I won't give too much away, but there's a really, really good. I'll wait till my son's a bit older and we'll watch it together. <laughs> uh, there is a really, really good, maybe two or three parter episode dealing with war, and there's a Jedi who ends up kind of being kind of evil in a way, in that he, he's a Jedi that doesn't respect the clones. He doesn't see them as human beings, so he's just throwing them out there like cannon fodder, like cannon fodder, like cannon fodder. And then like the the, the clones um, stand up for themselves and start battling the Jedi. So I thought it was going to be a little more, we were going to find out that Ra was a little more sinister because it did feel like he was, like obviously we see what he was hiding, but I was like, oh, this guy, he made me feel uncomfortable in some of those early scenes because I was like, what is going on here? So I was a little disappointed in that. In, in in the end, but yeah, I would have liked to have maybe see a recut of this episode where we know what actually happened at Jagal before the judo match and see mm. if that helps on a first-time view. But in a rewatch, you, it's fine. Yeah, I, I liked it because it was, it was like a little bit of a twist. Well, it was not a little bit. It was a big bit of a twist, really, and I liked it. Yeah, I, I just mean, I just mean that, that scene... Is kind of a boring scene until you know that because there's a lot of he asked because there's that specific line where Mbenga asked like because they're talking about 
his three generals that he killed. It's like who was the one that held up the the uh, the the hardest fight or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Ra says it was Krill, and it's and it's like well, we didn't know any of these characters' names until that point, and then it's we don't get that payoff until later in the episode when they're having their confrontation and and when Mbenga brings it up and says, no, it wasn't Krill, it was the other guy. And it's like, we don't know all that during the judo scene. So to me, the judo scene, the the dialogue falls flat yeah, okay. because it doesn't go anywhere and you have to apply future knowledge to it. And in a first watch, you shouldn't have to do that. No, yeah, because yeah, so. Mbenga asks him if he killed his own men and he says that he did. Uh, because he was appalled by their atrocities. And I was like, yeah, okay. But then, yeah, it's just, yeah, there's something that's not quite right. And, yeah, like you said, it probably Mm. might have worked a little bit better the other way. Yeah, because we've got... We only just know this Ra character. We know something's off about him. He's lying to us the whole time. And technically, Mbenga is lying to us as well. I mean, it's a live omission because we don't know what's going on. So it's like... As an audience member, we're kind of just being dragged through the episode going, well, who am I supposed to believe? Because they're both, in in literary terms, they're both, um, what is it, unreliable narrators or whatever. It's like we, we need someone to be telling us the truth and, and going through. So it's like An if, independent witness. <laughs> yeah, so it's like if, if, if Mbenga's walking through this episode with knowledge that we don't have, that we need, we can't we as an audience can't appreciate the nuance of everything that he's saying, especially in that judo scene. Um, yeah. But yeah, then uh, Mbenga goes to have a shower after that sparring stuff. Yeah, I didn't realise they had Sonic showers this early. Yeah. So that was nice. Yeah, Sonic shower, and he turns it on to full. Mm. And then he starts to have the whole heart palpitations again Yeah, as well. And I was like, yeah, this is... He's nailing this character. Mm, there was... There's a little bit of a subtext there that I picked up on that I was like, I wonder if this is what they intended because it's like when we first meet Mbenga, like at uh, at the Ford operating base, he's bathing. Mm-hmm. And it's like his cleansing ritual. Yeah. And then he has this moment with um, Ra and like Ra's touched him. And like, you know, and I feel like it was as very much as you would shower after a workout, it was also his way of cleansing himself of being touched by that man like it was his way to just try and sort of get that you know i guess his own uh what would you call it just like the the issues he's having with what he had to do on jagal he was trying to wash that away as well because you know raz they bring it all up so i i kind of dug a little bit of that subtext they had there just in that very simple quick sonic shower scene which kind of throws back to the last sort of Sonic, big Sonic shower scene I remember, which is Balana in Juggernaut. I was going to say Lower Decks where they turn the Sonic showers way up. Uh, <laughs> well, no, there's um, uh, in Juggernaut where Balana talks about her yeah. love of Sonic showers and then ends up killing the the, the monster, the radiation-affected Malon guy. And then she comes back to the ship and she's just covered in gunk and all that mm. kind of stuff. And it's a really poignant, subtexty way that the episode ends with her just getting into the Sonic shower and you physically see all the gunk and stuff start lifting off As much body. as I'd like to try a Sonic shower, I really don't think there's any substitute for a nice hot water shower. Hey? Yeah, I'd be very <laughs> interested to see if there's some kind of Sonic pulses that 
that you can feel on your skin that make it feel interesting or whatever. But it's like, and I'm hoping there's like some kind of heat element. So you're not just like standing naked in the cold. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it would be an interesting experience, I think. Yeah. Very yeah, cool. But anyway, so while he's having like that flashback in the sonic shower, um, yeah, he, we see the Andorian SF dude dead. And then he sees his patient from earlier, that kid dead as well. Like and his throat slit. completely slit by what the. What do Klingons. they call that? A, a something bow tie. Oh, that, so a Columbia necktie is where the Columbia necktie. It's where that's where the the tongue is actually pulled uh, back out through the hole. Jesus Christ! Yeah, yeah, and then that's what sets Mbenga off, and he takes mm. the Klingon knife off of the SF dude, and gets to business. That was weird. It kind of just seemed to be just sitting on the on the top of the body. Like it was just this Klingon knife. I almost it's it's way too graphic, but I kinda wanted just like the knife to be in him. Ooh. Like as the death blow, and he's just like pulled it out of the body. That's was, cool. Yeah, it was just kind of weird that it was just kind of laying on top in a very like displayed kind of way. Yeah, like maybe that's was, too much just for even though it's on yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> on a streaming channel. Who yeah. knows? Anyway, we go back to the present time again and um Pike's uh office with Una. And Una charts a course to get them to where they're going quicker. Yeah. And that that was excellent from the first officer yes, to recognize correct. that the crew was being affected and to, to bring that problem to her commanding officer, mm. but not only bring him the problem, bring him the solution yes. to the problem as well. That is being a military officer 101. Like notice a problem, come up with a solution to the problem, take the problem to your superiors, but give them the solution as well. And I think what, Excellent. what really makes her look like such an effectual first officer is that the last time we saw Una was the dinner. They didn't shoehorn a scene in where she has a one-on-one with Erica or um, Chapel. I don't think she, at any point she would have a one-on-one with a Benga because he was so withdrawn from everybody. But at no point did anyone have to make some kind of um, heartfelt plea to Una to say, we need to get him off the ship. She came to that realisation on her own based on the dinner, which is the last time we saw her, and brings this solution to a to Pike, a problem that he didn't really know was there. Like like mm-hmm. you said, she brought the solution. Um, yeah, I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, I thought, yeah, absolutely amazing. Yeah. Anyway... Flashback again, Mbenga kidding up. Um, then he gives Chapel a tracker for him. Yeah, oh, it, like a like a beam out. He's yeah. like, you can hit me, hit, hit that, and you can beam me out when I need but you. But don't beam me out too early, which I thought was pretty cool. Mm. And then he gives her a vial of the Protocol Twelve as well. Yeah, which I thought was cool because up to this point we've not seen Chapel use a Protocol Twelve, but I'm assuming that she had to use it to get out of where they were as well. Interesting, my. My thought was, well, he gave her that vial. Is that the vial we saw in like episode one? No, I'd say like not. She... Like, because she, in that episode one of season two, it was intimated that she had used this before. So she knew all about it. True, true. So, and knew the effects. And yeah, yeah. May, maybe there's other things in the war that, that we haven't seen where yeah. Mbenga and Chapel are going off and doing their own little missions. Yeah, because I think that would probably be a, a missed opportunity to not have seen her need to use that to get out of there. Um, so, yeah, maybe that's uh, he gave that to her. She didn't use it to get out. 
maybe they use but it later. use it later yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that there's definitely more to the Klingon war with potential flashbacks that we can see. And yeah. I, I'd I, even like to see some tie-in books to read. Yeah, that could be interesting. I reckon that'd be cool. Like, yeah. I know they're not, you know, class A canon type of stuff and they're like B, beta canon, but, yeah. you know, cool. Whatever, yeah, still I cool. Think, I think, yeah, because it's like if, if this is all, like we don't really get a time frame of how long Chapel was there from when she beamed down to when they beam out. But you would assume maybe no more than a week, two weeks, if maybe, that. if that. So it's like if, if this is her only experience with the Klingon War and Protocol 12, you're like, meh, nah. she got out of it pretty easy. I, so, I yeah, feel I, she uses it a few times. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would like a few more um, instances of that. And it, it would also help then grow this relationship between Mbenga and Chapel that I think is such a strong bond that they have. Yeah, it's just this massive mutual respect for each yeah. other. And they are keeping secrets from everybody else about what they have done in their professional yeah. lives. Yeah, absolutely. In that war. No, I would definitely have to see some more, some more of that kind of stuff. Anyway, back to the present. Um, Mbenga's in sickbay. He's got like a small case there. Yeah. And... Like they, he sort of opens the case a little bit, and the ambassador comes in, and you kind of see the knife just in the case. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, is that the knife from?" And I'm like, obviously it is. Yeah. And I'm like, "Damn!" Like he's he's, I don't know if he's kept it as like a reminder or if he's kept it as like a war trophy or mm. if it's something that he occasionally might open and look at to remind him of where he's come from or, or something. Like yeah, it's and- got. And remind him that of how much better his life is now. Yeah, and like yeah, things he, like the, that. the path he chose to be a doctor to help people to save lives, um, and maybe that being a reminder to, like, to never have to go back to that. Because obviously he was already a doctor, and then had to go back to that on Jagal. So it's kind of yeah. Just, I don't, I don't think it would be that thing. And I, I hope people don't read into it. It's like, oh, he had that there because he he planned on he wanted his revenge on on Ra. That whole time, and he, and he always had a plan in the back of his head to give the opportunity he would he would kill Ra. I don't think it was premeditated. I think, like you said, it was just it was a not so much, man, a trophies, a, a rough word, maybe memento, or just yeah, just a reminder to you know stay strong and, and stay on the path that he he has. I wouldn't chosen. say it was premeditated, but mm. I personally think it was. This is my opportunity to exact my revenge. That that's my take on it. I hope not. I I, I I honestly think that that's what it was, and this was Mbenga's way to give himself some closure. See, this is where the episode falls apart for me. Okay, this, it doesn't for is me. Is this yeah. last? Is this last scene, and then something Mbenga says uh, later on? So we we've heard during the whole the whole episode about the um, the butcher of Jigal, and so it's kind of we've kind of realized by the end of this. They, I think it was just a little bit of sloppy writing in that they seem to intimate the only reason he got that title is because he killed his three, like, generals like yeah. who were working for him. But it was a giant massacre of basically this entire moon slash planet they were on and they're going to give him the title of the Butcher of Jagal for killing three people? I just... I wish that was a little better. Oh, yeah, because he written. butchered his own men. Yeah, but then the big reveal being that Abenga says, "No, I'm the butcher of Jagal for killing those three men." But then yeah, because that was like, "Oh, 
But then it's like, well, he would have killed a lot more Klingons just to get oh, yeah. to that point. And then those three Klingons were protecting Ra's escape because he was a coward and he was a coward and he, and he, and he ran away and it was these three Klingons that, that sort of bought him t- bought Ra time to run away and um, Mbenga killed them. But I feel like just the writing was a little sloppy and that they, they focused too much, like I said, on the three generals as opposed to... Everything else. Ev- yeah. A, the millions, billions, whatever, that were killed on that planet. Like, you know, because it was the whole thing where, where earlier on where Chapel's like, he's killing children now, blah, blah. Which I know Klingons in war wouldn't see that as a butcher. They would see that as a victory. But it was just, I couldn't quite wrap my head around the idea that Klingons would give him the... Like, and he obviously, the story that Ra had built up was he killed his three men and then defected to the Federation. Using the blood on his hands to make him a saint. That's what they said. Yeah. And then the Klingons were the ones that called him the Butcher of Jigal just for killing those three men. Mm. I just felt like I almost wanted like people like Erica to be the one that gave him the name, the Butcher of Jigal or Chapel to be like those people who are on the front lines. They're the ones that called him the Butcher of Jigal for killing civilians and children and all those kind of things. Like in, in the way that they built up just the sheer amount of death that was going on on Jagal, for the Klingons to make a big deal about three generals, who gives a shit? Mm. They're warriors. You know what I mean? It, it yeah, well, li- how would Worf have uh, sort of reacted to this general guy? He would have said he was without honour. Yeah, sure. yeah. So it's like a Klingon killing three Klingons isn't, really a big deal whereas a human killing three Klingons in hand-to-hand combat with protocol 12 with protocol 12 <laughs> like that's that's a big deal that's a big deal yeah and I feel like <laughs> and that that is still his uh, Mbenga's secret too yes because then obviously there's yeah after um, uh, he kills Ra and the the directing was a little bit odd because I feel like the cutaway to behind the screen for the actual killing blow, like you see, you see them, you see them sort of fight, and and Ra puts his his hand on Mbenga's shoulder. Then it cuts to Nurse Chapel walking in, but it looks like she's walking in from the corridor. Like the, just the the shooting style was yeah. a bit, whereas she's actually walking in from behind. Like all three of them are in that section, but the way that it was shot, and then they cut out to behind the frosted glass the first time around. It made me think that was Chapel's POV and she saw it through yeah. the glass. But she didn't. She was behind the glass with them. Yep. Because then when he cut back to behind the glass, she's there and she's only three steps away from Vega. So I was really confused at that moment. And then when you cut to the next scene where she's the nice on the table and she's talking to Pike and she's lying for him, Benga, I was like... So yeah, they, were, they were basically saying that the general had bought the knife on board himself because, as like a trophy, because it still had the DNA yes. of the Klingons on it. Yeah, so so she was kind and of, and it makes sense. It tracks. It absolutely tracks, and like Laan, uh, you know, rubber stamped it, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, so like Chapel was kind of lying to protect Mbenga, which was you totally buy. I absolutely, totally, I totally buy that. It was just some odd direction that I'm like. I don't know why 
it, it just, yeah, it was, it was clunky in that I kind of, as a viewer, got lost in the space when we, we jumped away to behind the frosted glass. Visually, it was fantastic to not actually see the killing blow. And as an audience, we don't know exactly what happened in that tussle. So it kind of does protect Mbenga as a character mm-hmm. that he didn't just straight up murder this guy in cold blood. You don't know who reached for the knife first, if there was a scuffle, if, you know, all that kind of stuff. I like that they kept that separate, but it was just a directing point of view. I, I wish they'd, they'd done Chapel's entrance a little better, the way they cut around it. So my thoughts are, and this is obviously my head canon again. Yeah, as I said, Mbenga saw this as his way to like cleanse his own sins by killing this dude. All right. But there's an old saying that would you rather be a warrior in a garden or a gardener in a war? All right. And Mbenga embodies that warrior in the garden for me. Interesting. Have you never heard that one before? No, I haven't. I've never heard that one. I'll have to ruminate on that for a while. Yeah, that's yeah. That's a, that's it's a big, heavy one to throw yeah, at someone that's never yeah. heard it. I um, I had a little bit of an issue with. I think that one come from the Book of Five Rings, which I've got a copy of. Interesting. No, I have to. Yeah, I have to think about that one. Um, I had a little bit of an issue as much as we spoke about earlier. As much as I loved the scene between Pike and Mbenga at the end, there where Pike's like, basically says, "Dude." You can tell me, th- I know, like he basically said, I know you're hiding something. You can tell <coughs> me the truth. I'll, I'll go to bat for you. Just tell me what's going on. And in Benga's base, like, without saying it, said, no, I'm going to protect you from that. Yeah, he's like, Chris. You, and like the, the, the line I mentioned before about, you know, um, he has the privilege of being able to see the best in people and he's going to leave him with that. You don't need to know. You'll never understand. Yeah. I get, that was all fantastic. But there was one line that really irked me. And uh, Mbenga says, what about justice? What about the victims? Mbenga at no point... If, if Mbenga thinks that at any point he was serving justice, he needs to resign from Starfleet right now. There was no justice in anything he did there. <laughs> that was pure revenge. And if he's going to get his revenge... I am happy for him to get his revenge. I do not hold that against Mbenga, but do not for a second call what you did justice and consider yourself a Starfleet officer. Yeah, I was going to say, because like me, I like, and this is probably a lot to do with my background as mm. well. Well, it's and like we said, yeah. in, in this situation, you're the Mbenga, I'm the Pike. You know, yeah, in, so in that scene. like revenge to me can absolutely be justice. I don't agree. Yeah, just, oh, that's okay. Justice, yeah. justice by nature, and again, this is this is the Pike in me. Yeah. This is this is the pure philosophical side. There's a reason that the uh, the statue of the just of justice holding the scales, she's wearing a blindfold. Yeah, justice is justice blind. blind. Yeah. Um, there's a great episode of Voyager where uh, in season seven where they they examine a an alien justice system, and to them the idea of justice being impartial. Is crazy, and that guy has that, has that story. It's like if I steal your game board, why? Who who is a third party judge to decide what the punishment should that should be? The victim should be the one to choose the punishment. And obviously, as humans, we go, we're taught to go. Well, no, that's wrong. Justice should be impartial to take emotion out of it. Um, 
which, you know, it's just, we're all products of our upbringing. But yeah, I, I think given what Starfleet offers as a taught to preserve life, to, um, you know, uh, uh, what's the, um, God. And this um, is still like early Starfleet as well. Correct. So like we've still got, like we were a long way. We're a hundred years from like Picard taking command of the Enterprise Absolutely. as well. And so we're still a long way to go. And yeah, and I think they did a great job of, like I don't, I don't begrudge Mbenga for doing what he did. Like he got oh. into a scuffle with a Klingon. There was a knife there. He has a personal. Uh, uh, <sighs> I've lost all my adjectives. Um, like a, a, <laughs> he's got like a. A vendetta to settle. Yeah, yeah. He's got he's got something personal. He needs to settle with this guy, and if they're going to scuttle, and he's going to stab him in a. And he didn't stab, he didn't stab him in the back. He didn't sneak into his bed at night. He killed him. Looked him in the eyes and. It's like Mal him. Reynolds says, "If I'm going to shoot you, you're going to be looking at me, and you're going to be armed." <laughs> <laughs> Firefly whereas, reference for those that don't get yeah, it. Yeah. Whereas Jane's like, "No, you shoot him in a, in a back. In the back, it's <laughs> yeah. the safest way to do it. Shoot him in the back." Um. Yeah. So I just, I just think like Mbenga can make him pay. He can take his revenge. He can be glad he's dead, and he does say that he's glad. But yeah, don't ever think he was serving justice. That is, that is to me, that's backwards thinking of a Starfleet officer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I can see that from when you're looking at it from mm. that perspective. Yeah, I, yeah. I can, can can totally see it. Yeah. And and I think it's that thing where Pike. I think Pike would say the same thing, but Pike doesn't have the experience that Mbenga has. No. So... And I think this is why, like, Mbenga, as I said before, he is probably my favourite character now in Strange New World. Season two really up the ante for him. And, like, he's probably in my top five favourite characters in all of Star Trek. Yeah, wow. Like, there is a lot of things about Mbenga that resonate with me they've definitely improved on his season one where he was just like just this sad doctor with a sick kid but it's going to be so hard to go like back and watch original series now and just see him as like a background doctor Mm. like yeah that's interesting because yeah at some point he kind of steps down as chief medical officer and hands that over to bones but he's still just but i'm guessing we've got a lot more to see of him and yeah, maybe he gets to a point where he's just like, look, I don't want this responsibility anymore. Mm. I'm happy to chill the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But anyway. Yeah, it was um an amazing, an amazing, like, it's just so much character growth in such a short, short length of yeah, time. Yeah, great episode. So, for me, you know, at the moment, as I'm looking at it, probably the top two episodes together of the season so far uh, at Astra uh, Per Aspera, and those old scientists. And yeah. this episode, Under the Cloak of War, is like half a percent behind. It's a little further down from me. That's okay. But yeah. I think, what are we? That's eight episodes. Yep, it that's eight. It will still be in the top half because I've there's been some stinkers for me this season. Shall we do like um, a... End, like Obviously, we're going to do an end of season wrap up. But shall yeah. we do like a... Like like you do with the Trek, uh, the gate stuff. We'll do like a season rating. Maybe it's we only, can. It's only ten episodes. Yeah, it's, it's not, not many. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, I loved this episode for the first probably half hour. I had some issues with the back end, but maybe also like the conversation that we've just had about it is maybe the reason they wrote it that way because 
there is no right or wrong answer. There's how you feel about it. And it's the, are you a pike or are you an Mbenga in that moment in the end? Um, so I like, I like Trek that leaves it a little open-ended like that and encourages people to have a conversation about it. But like Trek, as it always does, is like a reflection of current society mm. and the struggles of society. Like the US and Australia and England and the whole coalition, we've just come out of, you know, 20, 20 or so years of full-on war with like the Taliban in Afghanistan and Iraq. And the world is potentially going into another big war soon. Mm. Like just, you got to look at what's going on. Yeah. And obviously in this show, they've just, you know, a few years before have come out of a big war with the Klingons and it's how these people are dealing with what's happened. And I see it in my own community, you know, of veterans from across the world. Cause I still talk to like a mm. lot of Americans and Brits and Canadians and all that sort of stuff. And it's all conversations that we all have. Yeah. And yeah, it, yeah, for me, this really, this yeah. was a really great episode. Yeah, like I said, I it, love it's, it. it's great in that, like I said, it, it, and it may even go up in my ratings when I rewatch. Yeah, again. exactly. Um, I like that. Like I said, I like that it it encourages people to have a conversation. It it's classic Trek in that it presents a moral quandary and says, "Well, here's the facts. You decide. Yeah. There's no right. There's no wrong. There's just how you feel about it." Whereas, and take another drink. This is what Discovery did incorrectly. Got a little bit left. <laughs> is Discovery would give you an episode of television and then tell you what to think at the end of it and want you to um, agree and believe with everything that they said. Whereas I think it's better in, in something like this where it, it gives you the, it presents it in a neutral aspect and then makes you think about it and apply your own, and just as we've done, we've applied our own life experiences to both sides of this. Um, and yeah, and like I said, that the 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 Pike and Benga thing at the end really resonated with me, as someone who sits here and does a podcast with a war veteran, um, and how I will never understand what that is, and I can only come at it from an intellectual point of yeah, view. Yeah, of course. Whereas you're coming at it from a practical point of view of actually having done it. So, kudos to that. So the episode is great for doing that, but also. Just that three butchers thing kind of bugged me, which I just I just wish there was another little pass on there because I think if it been had been tweaked a little bit, this could be one of the all time best. I, I like how this season as well has done like a bit of a heavier episode and a lighter episode, a heavier episode, a lighter. I like that. It blows my mind to think that this episode chronologically sits in between. Those old scientists and a fucking musical episode. <laughs> look, like look, it's look, probably the best spot for it because it's so heavy. Yeah, but it's it's like whiplash. Like and normally, like this is a sort of a different position for me. Like I'm sometimes the more judgy one out of the two of us, and this time Maddie's sort of like pre-judging subspace rhapsody, and I'm I'm the one that's trying to be the voice hey, of reason <laughs> based on the trailer. Like if I hadn't seen that trailer, I think I would be much more. Open? Open to yep. it, but the trailer gave me douche chills. And yeah, I'm okay. like, oh, it looks real cringy. They've just got to be they've got to be careful with how they do it. And well it like, appears it appears to be an, an anomaly. Like you just see there's that moment where it, the, in the trailer you just see some kind of weird pulse in space that hits the ship. That's what's gonna make Oh, I don't seen. think you've seen the other trailer. 
I only saw the one that I sent to you and Mitch. Okay, so there's a trailer that I saw earlier today, actually, where... So Uhura is trying to figure out how to send signals back to, like, Starfleet quicker because the way they send signals right now, it can take days to get back. Oh, like through subspace. And all yeah, so I'm stuff, guessing yeah. this is where they figure out how to send signals properly through subspace and it gets there instantaneously. And there was something that they said in the trailer about... Um, like it wasn't particularly working and then they were like, well, maybe music will go through. Ooh, so they did it to themselves? Yeah, potentially. That makes it worse for me. But I would rather it be uh, some kind of weird anomaly that affect the, or they, their scanners of it and it... Well, look, we, we don't really 100% know yet and trailers don't always tell the truth or give you the entire... Um, and you don't want them to give Logan. you the entire story. Yeah. I've never trusted trailers since Logan. Yeah, okay. Like, I'm still open to it. Anyway, next week's episode, season two, episode nine, which will be what our 19th episode of uh, Making It no, So. Uh, yeah. No, 20th. Yeah, no, 20th. It's up to our 20th episode. Because we. No, but then the. Oh, yeah, because the last will be 21st and then our, our wrap will be 22nd, won't it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. I've got an open mind for it. I am bringing alcohol with me next week. Yep, that's cool. Because I'm pretty sure it's the only way I'm going to make it through this thing <laughs> with any level of enjoyment. <laughs> Aside from seeing Erica in her uh, lowercase d dress uniform. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, I'm oh, looking for... and the biobed metaphor at the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that was sort of like... Mm. That was, remember, last, remember last episode when I was talking about how Una was doing stuff that wasn't cringy? That biobed log was super cringy. <laughs> Anyway, Maddie, where can we find you on socials, my friend? Uh, on Instagram at High Pitch Maddie, H I G H P I T C H M A T T Y. And you can find myself on Instagram and Facebook at Geek in Camo. And if you want to see any of my uh, shooting stuff, you can find me at Precision Rifle Guy or some of my military stuff at Grunt Works. God, how many. I've got a lot. I've got a lot of things going on. That's super suspect, man. <laughs> anyway, girls, guys, and Jedi's. Until next time, see us later. Riker. Get into geek.